Worried about your home's furnace or AC? Not anymore. Legacy Heating and Air wants to make it easy for you to stay comfortable year-round. Right now, when you buy a new heating and cooling system from Legacy, we'll give you the complete package worry-free. Get a free smart thermostat, a free duct cleaning, flexible financing options, and free maintenance for up to 12 years. This won't last long. Call your Legacy Pro today or schedule online at LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps on a day where my legacy furnace isn't working very hard, very unseasonably warm, but the temperature's hot in the Notre Dame football coaching room right now after a 31-23 loss to Clemson over the weekend. My name is Eric Hansen. The guy in the square next to me is Tyler James, and this is Football Never Sleeps, the weekly Notre Dame football talk show aspiring to be viral and hopefully uh, not raising your temperatures tonight, but we're going to talk about a lot of the topics concerning Notre Dame football. We take your questions, so so start filling in the question queue, and I'm going to have Tyler take you through the particulars about bells to ring and likes to do and all that stuff. Yeah, as always, make sure you are subscribed to the channel. Uh, make sure you hit the like button, uh, comments during the show. And questions, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the YouTube live process, um, the comment section should be on the right-hand side if you're on a desktop of some sort or below our talking heads. Um, if you're on a mobile device, make sure you have clicked through uh, to the YouTube, whether it's the app or the website. Um, if you are embedded on an embedded version somewhere on social media or on InsideNDSports.com because you won't be able to comment in those places and if once you comment through YouTube, then I can see them on our little dashboard that we have set up through the system we use. So we appreciate that. We already have some questions in from Jerry McClurg, an Irish fan. And Irish fan, that's an important one off the top here, Eric. Are the Caddyshack rules in effect? Um, not that we're, we're going to waive the no drinking and the no bare feet rule for you guys <laughs> tonight. <laughs> All right. And uh, we hope you are uh, consider taking advantage of our 30-day free trial if you haven't yet. Um, we're offering a 30-day free trial to InsideIndieSports.com for our YouTube audience. You can use promo code NDYT, um, and that'll sign you up to get free access to our premium analysis, our recruiting coverage, and special access to us on the Insider Lounge. There's a link uh, in the video description below. You should be able to click to, and it'll get, take you right there, and you should be able to sign up. So if you haven't done that already, we encourage you to do so, and we appreciate everyone who's joined us here live on Monday night. All right, I think that covers all my spiel, Eric. Let's get into our our topics about Notre Dame football. And, and before one more thing before I go, we have a lot of big picture questions here uh, tonight. So when you're submitting questions, you feel free to ask big picture questions. But if you have some specific Clemson game questions, we don't have a lot of those things on our schedule of things that we plan to talk about. We but we are more than happy to talk about the Clemson game. Um, we, we're going to lean on our our viewers to to give us the Clemson side of things if they if they have specific things they'd like to know about Saturday's game. Okay, so Notre Dame rolls into its bye week, second bye week of the season. With a 7-3 and three record, they are ranked 22nd in the latest AP and coaches polls. The college football playoff rankings, the second set of them comes out uh, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Those are no longer relevant for Notre Dame. Hmm. They determine the playoff field and the New Year's Six Bowls. 
Notre Dame is no longer in play for the New Year's Six. Uh, the high end of the non-New Year's Six Bowls that they could end up in would be the ReliaQuest Bowl, which is January 1st in Tampa, Florida. It's the old Outback Bowl, if you're maybe more familiar with that name. They would play an SEC team, and yes, LSU and Brian Kelly would be a possibility there. So the first big question, big picture question I'm going to start with you, Tyler, is what should Marcus Freeman's top priorities be this week during this bye week? Big picture, focusing on Wake and Stanford, the two remaining regular season opponents, or both? I think it's both, but with a greater focus on Wake Forest and Stanford because he needs to win those games. Um I, those games can't be overlooked. Uh, we know that Notre Dame has the capability of losing games that probably shouldn't um, under the Marcus Freeman regime. And so the, the, you can't take those games for granted. Um, I think you can build during the bye week into those games with things that can help you both in those games and in the future. Um, but I think the the priority has to be winning these these regular season games. You can't like the the big picture for Notre Dame doesn't become like brighter by losing four regular season games in consecutive seasons to start the Marcus Freeman era. Like that that's not going to help anything. So I think you maybe build towards the future a little bit more in bowl prep. Uh, you can play guys in these games that can help you win now and then uh, I think in terms of what can you do to help look towards the future, maybe evaluate the portal market. Um, I, I think Marcus Freeman indicated before that they were going to have a discussion about what to do with the quarterback position as it relates to the transfer portal during this second bye week. Um, maybe it wouldn't hurt to watch a lot of other offenses <laughs> play football, uh, see, see what else is happening across college football that can be uh, implemented in, in, in Notre Dame's offense. Um, so those, those would be, that's where I think the focus should be. What do you think, Eric? I would say primarily on things that will help you finish the regular season and the bowl game strong, getting the fixes, as many fixes as you can. But you're right. There are some things that aren't going to wait too long as far as big picture things. I do think that um, you mentioned the portal quarterback question I think really at all positions and Notre Dame's pretty good at monitoring this throughout the season. Um, and quarterback isn't the only position where they really need to take a good look at, but the portal opens on December 4th. I mean, that's coming up quickly. And if you don't have a really good plan and, and have vetted a lot of the players that you might be interested in, then you are really going to be behind the eight ball um, and not the magic eight ball because, um, you know, there's competition for these. You also want to turn these around as quickly as you can. You want to get guys in for visits and so forth. I do think that there are some things that, you know, Marcus needs to be rattling around in his mind in terms of, you know, is Jared Parker the offensive coordinator going forward? And you can certainly evaluate that after the regular season ends, but with signing day coming up and there being some new offensive coordinators out on the market or willing to make some moves. I think that's something that I would be pondering if I were in his shoes. 
uh, offensive coordinators of the market. So you think you should look into Brian Ferentz? Is that what is that what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. That's the one thing that anybody in the country I think can kind of point to and say, well, at least we're not Iowa. You know, I I was following you know the scoreboard with other games because I vote in a poll, and I thought could the Northwestern and Iowa be the first game to in this season to go zero zero in regulation and then maybe win an overtime, like the third overtime two to nothing. That was kind of what I was rooting for, but <laughs> Iowa had this burst of offense and won 10 to seven in regulation. So with a last second field goal, but uh, yeah, there are, there are other teams with, third world problems and uh, uh, but but I do think in all seriousness that the Jared Parker question needs to be something that Marcus starts to ponder at this point okay dude I'm sorry did you want to follow up no 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 go ahead I was just going to get to the next thing so you're good okay so the next question I would say is how much of the off since we're talking about Jared Parker, how much of the offensive issues are truly fixable and discernible against two teams that are not defensive juggernauts? Wake Force is kind of a little bit below the middle of the pack defensively. Stanford is in the bottom five, although they had a really good defensive game against Washington State in a road win they had Saturday night. Um, let's go to discernible first. I do think you can tell if your offense is getting better, even against worse competition, um, plays that aren't walk-ins or that you're, that you're winning simply by being physically better than the opponent. Um, I think are, are obvious. Um, and so those are the type of things that you you need to be looking for to see if there is offensive improvement, um, for Notre Dame in terms of like being fixable. I, I think, to me, it's more there's going to be improvements rather than fixes. I I don't know if that – maybe that's splitting hairs there. But, I mean, in, ter- in terms of fixing the offense for the long term, I mean, you're going to have a new quarterback next season. So, yeah, how are you going to be able to judge what Sam Hartman does for this offense and compare it to whatever the next quarterback is going to do? Um, but as for this season, like you're not getting better receivers, right? I mean, maybe Jaden Thomas can finally – be healthy enough at some point, but I don't know how you can bank on that. That hasn't been true for, for more than a month now. Um, and you sort of have what you have. Um, and can you get better out of those guys? Can you figure out ways to put those guys in better positions? Can you get Sam Hartman to make the decisions that need to be made? Um, I think there, especially in this Clemson game, there are plenty of examples of him not making the right decisions um, and then even sometimes when he did not throwing the ball accurately um, and it, the, the, uh, the margin for error with Notre Dame's offense is so slim right now that when he does, he does make some of those mistakes, Sam, he being Sam Hartman, that it, that everything sort of goes awry because Notre Dame just isn't good enough to overcome some mistakes offensively right now. Okay. Um, do we want to take any questions from the peanut gallery yet, or just keep moving on these big picture ones right now? Um, we can get to some of these. Uh, Jerry McClurg was the first one. Uh, Notre Dame needs an offensive coordinator with a few years experience. Will ND be willing to spend the money to get a good one? You guys are good therapy for Notre Dame fans wandering in the wilderness. I appreciate that. That, um, if there is a change made, I think 
Notre Dame certainly would be willing to pay for the offensive coordinator. And I think where Jerry, um, what makes, I'm, I'm, I'm reading your mind, Jerry. The reason why I think you're probably wondering that is we still go back to the whole buyout with the Utah offensive coordinator, uh, Andy Ludwig and the, the whole hiccup with that experience, him being in a hockey game and him not taking the job. Did they get hung up on the buyout? And then there were a lot of versions of that story uh, that Marcus Freeman's version was that Andy Ludwig went back to Utah and said, I want to stay here. And there are people that have speculated that Notre Dame balked at the buyout. Then when it became public that they did that, then they changed their mind. And then they ultimately settled on Jared Parker because it was um, a blue light special. I, I, I don't think that that's why they settled on Jared Parker. But I do think that they would go and they would spend the money. They spent the money on Tommy Reese. He wasn't cheap when he was here. So um, I do not think that money is going to be an object. And when you think about revenue lost through playoff versus a minor bowl game or New Year's Six versus a more off-Broadway bowl game, you can make up buyouts and you can make up salaries pretty quickly with a top-of-the-line offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know that what the – Odds are of Al Golden staying or going after this season, but I, I if I were, would you Al, like to set him? If I were Al Golden's agent, I would be asking for a raise, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so Notre Dame's gonna need to pay him. Um, I think unless Pete Mavacqua does not have faith in Marcus Freeman in the long term, then he has to pay. Help, like they, they have to commit the funds to bringing in whatever he needs uh, to get this program to take another step. Um, so whether that's the offensive coordinator or something else, I think that um, their name is going to have to be behind Marcus Freeman. And if they're not financially, then it seemed like the years may be numbered for Marcus Freeman, unless he can overcome that. Uh, so I, I think, I think that Notre Dame will be w willing to spend the money. I mean, they are willing to spend the money for Micah Shrewsbury. And I know like the head, basketball coach um in theory might be more important than the offensive coordinator at notre dame but i don't know that it necessarily is i think the offensive coordinator at notre dame should be just as important if not more important um for what this this university wants to be and how important the football program is uh so i i think that uh notre dame should and and likely will be willing to spend the money if that's where marcus freeman um and the athletic department feels like it needs to needs to go yeah, it was interesting because somebody asked me in my chat last week about the salaries of NFL coordinators versus college coordinators. And I did some research, and there's not a discernible difference between Power Five coordinators and NFL. Now, there's the high-end NFL guys are higher, but, but on average, they're kind of in the same neighborhood as, as each other. The jobs are different. I think there's more hours with an NFL coordinator because you have more access to the players, but do you think so? A lot of hit. Well, no, no, from, from uh, office hours. I, okay. I talked to Charlie <laughs> Weiss about this, but then when you throw in recruiting, it swings the other right. way. Right. Right. So right. it's how you're spending your time. Mm. Um, but 
but Charlie Weiss told me that he, as a an NFL um, offense coordinator, offensive coordinator, he spent a lot more time in the office than he did as a college head coach. But the recruiting is a whole different thing, and a lot of guys don't like recruiting, and some guys love it. You know, and recruiting is year round; it's not just yeah. an in season thing. Right. Whereas right. I, I think your office hours are probably shorter in the off season, right. um, as a as a coach at either level. Um, but uh, the recruiting is is a, is a constant at the college level. So okay, all right. Uh, some more questions. This is more of a thought, um, and I, I thought it could sort of lead us into a little bit of the uh, uh, some of the Clemson thoughts because I know we spoke a lot about Clemson. Um, in our post-game takeaways video, if you haven't seen that already. Um, but Bob Alvey shares his uh, takeaways. Uh, Bob says he's in the minority watching the game from Death Valley, thought the play calling wasn't that bad. Other than the punt fest and series, Sam Hartman missed a touchdown throw, horrible quarterback reads, interior offensive line, and running back pass pro. Well, here's what I would say to you, Bob. I think that um, an average offensive coordinator – is not going to solve some of the things that you just pointed out. I think an elite offensive coordinator helps scheme quarterback or helps scheme wide receivers open. He helps the quarterback's confidence. Um, he does some things to camouflage the weaknesses and he finds the strengths in his own team and he finds the cracks in the other team and he's able to make adjustments. I think one thing that Tyler tweeted out on Saturday or Sunday was a quote about Jared Parker kind of embracing more play action passes. And this seemed like a perfect game to do that with the running game actually doing some things where you could freeze some linebackers. And how many um, play action passes did we see in that game, Tyler? Against Clemson, I believe it was just two. Right. So two. So again, um, you know, I, I respect you watching the game there live. Bob and your your um, your thoughts, but it's not just about oh that was a bad play. It's about again making <laughs> making two and two equal five or six sometimes when you need to, and I think that's what really really good coordinators are able to do. I got a chance Saturday night again waiting to cast my vote for for the Super Sixteen poll and watching some of the other offenses and they all made Notre Dame's offense look pretty pedestrian. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Arizona is not a team that you think of as a real dynamic offensive program. And they're playing a backup quarterback right now, who was like a two or three star coming out of high school and you just go, wow, this guy is something. And, and I think, you know, Sam Hartman's, losing some confidence in the way the offense is designed and the way that receivers aren't getting open and so forth. And I, I do think it reflects on the offensive coordinator. Now, could he have played better? Absolutely. Could the receivers have played better? Absolutely. Could the line have blocked better? But I think it starts with leadership and I think it starts with the offensive coordinator's leadership. Yeah, and Jed Fish at Arizona has lots of offensive experience, but that hasn't necessarily shown itself until it's it's uh, sort of at least showing that evolution um, at Arizona this season. Um, it, as it relates to the Clemson game, I in my rewatch, I've come 
Like, I still think that Jared Parker didn't do a great job. I thought Sam Hartman played worse upon review than I thought live. Um, I think he was just making poor decisions and not, I mean, sometimes just getting rid of the ball. I mean, there was, it's like a, I think it's the first play of the third series. He just sort of checks it deep to Jane Greyhouse when it was obvious that Jane Greyhouse wasn't open and he's not really pressured. And Enrico Flores is just crossing over the middle of the field wide open. It's like, what, what's the hurry on first down to throw that ball away like that? Um, I, and so he, he himself mentioned the Rico Flores uh, miss on the, uh, I don't, I don't, I think it was second down. I, I, or no, it was third down on, on the goal line um, and third and goal from the five. And he rolls right. The design of the play is throw right now to Rico Flores and he's open, but he doesn't throw it to him. Um, and then he, then he, he waits and waits and sees Jane Greathouse open and then overthrows him. Uh, so I think Hartman didn't play well and that hurt, um, Notre Dame and certainly made Jared Parker look worse. Um, Notre Dame wasn't good on third downs, but there's a third down example, like, Hey, the play's drawn up for you, make the play. Um, even the third down, I think it led to Notre Dame's second field goal, uh, where the pass is batted down by Xavier Thomas. It's a clear sort of, uh, almost a screen. Like there's three receivers coming across from right to left. To set to make sure no one's going to be able to catch Jabron Pink escaping to the right, um, and for some reason Blake Fisher is blocking Xavier Thomas at the start, and then he comes off Thomas because there's a blitzing linebacker inside. He's like, well, that so he must have thought, well, that's a bigger threat. But honestly, Thomas is the bigger threat to deflect the pass because there's it's going one place and it's right where Thomas is. So if he's blocking Thomas in that instance, he's probably not going to get his hand up in the same way where he's able to get it up when Fisher had left him. So I, I don't know if that's Blake's fault, if that's Sam's fault, Sam needs to do something there, but the play is drawn up to work. It just didn't work. Um, so I, the biggest, the biggest criticism I have is like, how do you have so much sex success with Audric Estime in the first quarter running the football and that not lead to other better things for your offense? Even if it's not Audric Estime himself running the football, how does that not lead to better, better opportunities in the passing game? And there was no, there was no, evolution of the offense at that point clearly Clemson adjusted in some way to stop Audric Estime and Notre Dame didn't have an answer for it um so so much to a point where they sort of abandoned abandoned Audric Estime in the second half I think he had three carries in the second half um so I I that doesn't make a lot of sense to me I the play action thing in the second half I guess I could understand like first of all down eight points like that's not a big enough deficit to abandon play action or but I don't know you're if abandoning it because it is not a staple of Notre Dame's offense. They didn't do it against Pitt either. Um, they did one great play action pass from under center. It was a fake toss, and then Rico Flores was wide open for like 60 yards. I don't know why that can't be a once a series play for Notre Dame when you run the ball effectively. And even if you're not, the defense is clearly lining up to stop the run. If you make them think you're running it, you're probably going to open some things up in the passing game. And that is frustrating. And I, I don't really under, I can't. The only explanation I could buy in the second half would be the field position hurt them. Like it's harder to run play action. If you're playing from within your own 10 yard line, you're afraid that a long drawn out play can end up in a sack and a safety. So maybe that is some of the concern there, but there's plenty of game before that, um, that Notre Dame should have had opportunities to run some play action and, and didn't. And I'm not sure why that's not working. Is Sam Hartman just not good at it? How could they not get him better at it at, by this point? I, I think there's lots of questions there. Um, so I, I I do take Bob at his word for some of those. Like I, I think there was more execution problems within the game than I thought, 
um, having watched it live. One thing that doesn't hurt, doesn't help Parker fairly or unfairly is the juxtaposition of this, that last year against Clemson, Sam Hartman threw for six touchdowns with a worse offensive line, with a worse running game to complement him against a better overall Clemson team, but not a better Clemson defense. This defense is actually statistically better than last year's 11-3 and team. But overall, that was a better Clemson team. And those are things that, you know, fans look at and say, well, wait, six touchdowns versus zero uh, touchdown passes. And, and that's a difficult thing to reconcile. Yeah, and Clemson was missing starters from this this right. defense this game. You, you see the you see the injury announcements like, man, Clemson's missing some important guys there on defense, and it did not seem to matter at all. Uh, I gotta I, I appreciate this burn here from the A stack. Football never sleeps. The ND offense begs to differ. I thought that, <laughs> that was pretty clever. Um, let's go to Ed Coquillard. Irish fans need to take a deep breath. I've read where Marcus Freeman is second most successful new ND coach in modern times. Look at Texas A&M, Florida, and Arkansas with inexperienced newbies. He'll figure it out. With experienced newbies. Experienced newbies. Sorry. Yeah. Right. So I am I think we'll get into this in a little bit more depth. I am encouraged that Marcus Freeman is going to figure it out. Uh, but, and yes, Texas A&M, wow, what a mess. Florida and Arkansas, not, I'm, I, I think, I'm not sure what to think about them, but Texas A&M, man, they, they're in an expensive mess uh, hmm. because there's a huge buyout to get Jimbo Fisher out of there. And I think I, I think Carter Carls mentioned this is the fifth four loss or more season out of six since he's been there. So let's, uh, uh you mentioned the Marcus Freeman thing, and I'll just bring up the question that we have down okay. here um, because I think this sort of gets at it at it with with Ed's question. And uh, you want you want to discuss if what is Marcus Freeman doing right that gives you or us confidence that year three will be better and that a building process will continue to take place for Notre Dame. I, I I'll start with that. Like I I need to be sold on what the vision for the offense is, like because I think that's what matters the most in terms of like having confidence in where things are heading moving forward for Marcus Freeman, um, whether or not that we're going to get that answer in the next three weeks or not, I, probably unlikely, but um, I just think he, Marcus Freeman is too competitive to be fine with how things are going with the offense. Um, so I, I don't know what the solution is um, other than obviously the, the suggested one by many that Jared Parker needs to re be replaced. But um, if that's not it, um, what what can Notre Dame do there? I think there's recruiting talent that is showing up on the field that gives me confidence in Marcus Freeman. And on offense, there is young talent. I think the problem is that Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores are asked to be star receivers for Notre Dame rather than complimentary receivers as freshmen, which I don't think they were ready to be quite that. So um, that's uh, the biggest the biggest issue is the wide receiver position, I think, with the offense um, and then sort of the game plan to sort of have a better, have better packages and plans to make. If you have a deficiency, like have have better ways to get around it, or, or, or different things that can help you um, 
make up for what your roster deficiencies may be. Okay, so do you want me to answer that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So I, I think the number one thing that Marcus has going for him is he has a system to recruit and he has a system to combat negative recruiting against Notre Dame's high academic standards. He's He says four for 40, embrace the bumpy road. You know, he doesn't try to camouflage it when – and hide it when, and hide the weather when players come. He has a pretty good philosophy. He has a good way to coexist with NIL, I think. Um, and and this kind of gets into um, a question that we we're going to save for later. I'm just going to combine it. Sure. When I look back at the Bob Davey era, the Tyrone Willingham era, and the Charlie Weiss era recruiting was fell off in one area or another or on both sides of the ball for example with tyrone willingham they had one really good class with uh, brady quinn in it the guys that charlie weiss basically won with in 2005 and 2006 that was that was the good tyrone recruiting class but the recruiting just dropped off so dramatically and then even in the transition year where Charlie became the coach, I mean, he had so much catching up to do on the recruiting trail before signing day, he couldn't do it. Plus, he didn't want to leave New England before they were done in the playoffs and, and a Super Bowl run. He didn't want to leave them. So that hamstrung Notre Dame. But, I mean, recruiting fell off, and people weren't mad at Tyrone Willingham. They were indifferent. They didn't care anymore. They stopped caring when when the fan base stops getting mad and stops caring. That's when you're in big trouble. Charlie Weiss continued to recruit well on the offensive side of the ball, but he couldn't recruit front seven talent until his very last class, and by then it couldn't save him. He couldn't solve the problems on defense. He did get Manti Tail. Uh, Darius Fleming and guys like that in the last class, but not being able to get front seven talent, you know, elite front seven talent, you know, Notre Dame, he was just always in a score fest with other teams. Bob Davey was just a poor leader and he had great assistants around him. I mean, you think about Urban Meyer and some of these other guys, he had really good assistants around him and he made them worse. Um, now, Urban didn't stay around for very long. He got the Bowling Green job pretty quickly and then went to Utah and then Florida and the rest is history. But, uh, you know, he had a very good – he inherited a very good staff, but he just was a very poor leader, always making excuses. I don't hear Marcus Freeman. I mean, Bob Davey one time in a press conference stood up and said, we need to play more directional schools. Our schedule's too hard. That was his, that was his way of solving – his losing ways. So mm -hmm. there's a lot that I admire about Marcus and some of the harder things that he gets right. It's the game day operations. It's some of his personnel decisions. And in his defense, he's had to hire a lot of assistance. There's been a lot of turnover. I also think one thing that's hurt Marcus is there were so many, so much institutional knowledge that walked out the door that the, the 
infrastructure of Notre Dame's football program, the assistance, there's so much newness to it that you don't have a lot of, you don't have many resources that can say, hey, Marcus, uh, can you consider this? The, the last thing I'll consider there that I think would really help Marcus in being a defensive coach is whoever he hires as offensive coordinator, I don't think you can ever have too many good ideas as long as you can all get along. And I think that the concept of somebody like David Cutcliffe, and I'm not saying David in particular, but having a veteran guy with great ideas that you could bounce off of. I know Tommy Reese had, what was the guy's name that was up in the press box with him? The tight ends coach from uh, Rutgers. John McNulty. John McNulty. Had McNulty sitting right next to him when he was a young offensive coordinator. And I think having that backstop would certainly help Marcus. But there are a lot of good things that he's done, and I'm encouraged. But this offseason is super important for him in terms of some of the decisions he'll make. All right. Um, we have some more questions here. Jeremy Lamb, do you believe that Freeman's preferred trestle ball style of offense is compatible with winning at an elite level in the current college football landscape? I don't know that I would call what he's doing trestle ball. I think Marcus wants to be balanced, and I think there's a lot of um, a lot of pluses in being a balance, especially in the climate that Notre Dame is. Ohio State tries for that kind of offensive balance, but in this day and age, you also have to be dynamic. And I think Marcus knows that. I, you know, trestle ball, yes, it was. Rely on your defense and special teams and don't make mistakes on offense. And there was an era in the BCS time where that was good enough to win national championships. It's not anymore. You need to be dynamic on both sides of the ball. And I think Marcus knows that. I don't think that he is thinking that, oh, well, if we're 73rd in the country in total offense, that's, that would be good. Ohio State won a national championship one year when they were in the 70s in total offense. Uh, but they were a very good defensive team and they were very good on special teams. No, I think he takes the positives of trestle ball but modernizes them with trying to get a more dynamic offense. That's why you see them trying to recruit guys like Cam Williams and Jeremiah Love and C.J. Carr and players like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like, is what Notre Dame trying to do that different than what Georgia has been doing? I mean, Notre Dame isn't nearly as good as it, as them on either side of the ball, I don't think but I think the blueprint's not that different, right? I mean, I think Georgia probably has better playmakers, but like no one was looking at Georgia's quarterback. I mean, like that's the reason they're winning national championships. Um, Michigan's certainly trying to do that right now, right? I mean, they, they failed in their two college football playoff uh, appearances the last two years, but that's sort of Michigan's formula. And I, I don't think the formula has changed this year. Obviously maybe some sign stealing is helping that formula, but so I, I don't know that I would totally say that it's not a, a a feasible way to get into the college football playoff and, and potentially. Win I think a it's title. a feasible way to get into it. I don't think it's a feasible way to win games there. I think once you get there, now again, Georgia's defense was suffocating. I mean, right, and and Stetson Bennett 
played like a five-star quarterback. I mean, he was top 10 in pass efficiency, which is one of the big markers is that pass efficiency rating. And they, and they did have one of the best tight ends in the country last year. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, that's – I mean, I, I, I guess I don't – like, yes, Stetson been played that way, but I don't know that, like, Georgia built an offense that's, like, new age and, like – Something that no one has seen. I before. don't think they have, but I think Alabama's until this year. Right. I, I, yeah. No, I yeah. agree. But like, yeah. I think like, well, li- listen. I mean, people are doing this at a very high level and being very successful with different versions of this. But also, like, I think I always felt when folks started to say like Trestle Ball and related Marcus Freeman to Jim Trestle, just because he uses him and is and is close to Jim Trestle, like, like I felt like it was sort of unfair to sort of like make Marcus Freeman into like Jim Trestle version 2.0. But I understand why people continue to bring that back up because the, the results are sort of mirroring that and that the offense just sort of looks like this thing that is like, Hey, let's just protect the football. Um, and the, the, the outcome isn't sort of, at least they're allowing these Woody Hayes. It's it's not allowing Notre Dame to sort of Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman to overcome that narrative, and so I, I think that uh, I I don't I don't believe, and I guess do we think this is what Marcus Freeman prefers, or do you think that this is what Marcus Freeman feels like he had to do based on what Notre Dame's personnel is on offense? Like, is this what Notre Dame had to do because of his wide receiver talent um, and not being able to find a quick route to to fixing that? Um, I don't know what the answer to that is. Is it because the Notre Dame's offensive line was the strength and they feel like they're going to have to run the ball because that's where their best players are at? Um, I don't know that we'll ever know. I mean, that's that's the problem with hiring a first-time head coach. You don't know if what he would do with different circumstances because this is the only circumstance that's been presented to him. The, th- the thing about it is, Tyler, I mean, college football is still different than pro football. And when you look at, the teams that are winning national championships, rush offense is still one of the check yeah. marks almost every one of them have. So they can do both. I mean, you look at the Alabama team that Notre Dame played in the playoff in 2020. Mac Jones was the number one quarterback, I think, in the country in pass efficiency, but they had an incredible running back. They had a Heisman Trophy winner, a wide receiver. They had an incredible offensive line. They could pretty much do everything. They had a tight end. I think that's what Marcus wants to get to. He's got to take some intermediate steps. I think had Tommy Reese stayed, he would have moved a little bit more in that direction if he could recruit wide receivers to to fill those spots. Um, but, you know, again, uh, that's one of the reasons I think the wide receiver position is going to be really interesting this offseason. How much improvement can you expect from the existing roster? And how much do you need to dip into the portal? Because you're you're bringing in three more receivers. The only person with expiring eligibility is Matt Salerno. And then do you need to go get a field outside receiver? If you can, that's elite to kind of change the whole complexion of your offense. You go get somebody that's, you know, what was the, what was the Michigan state receiver that went down to Florida state? Was it Keon Keon Clark? Keon Keon Coleman. Coleman. Get somebody like that. Now can Notre Dame attract somebody like that? But 
um, that would change your whole offense. It would make everybody better. Mm -hmm. All but right. Then you'd have 13 receivers. <laughs> Question from Timothy Holland. Save the early cupcake opponents. Do you think the Sam Hartman era at Notre Dame has been a failure? His play has been about the same as Drew Pine last year in the big games, and that's with more talent on offense. Um, I wouldn't say it's a failure if you're calling Sam Hartman a failure. Uh, I think Notre Dame will, when we look back, will have benefited from Sam Hartman having been here, if nothing else, from helping Kenny Minchin and Steve Angeli being better. But had Drew Pine been playing in this schedule, I don't think Notre Dame would even have the seven wins that it does have. I don't mm -hmm. think they win the Duke game, for instance. Um, and and I'm sure there's others that I maybe not the NC State game either. Uh, so, no, I I don't think that that's it's a um, that's a proper reflection. But I I think how I would frame it is Notre Dame has squandered to a certain extent mm -hmm. Sam Hartman's presence, a sixth year quarterback with lots of experience that can play chess at the line of scrimmage and they haven't taken full advantage of what he does do well. Uh, I, I, I lean towards it being a failure, and not like because of Sam Hartman. Um, I think that is the, the, this, right. this season, which is the Sam Hartman era. He has one season to play at Notre Dame. Right. I think it's more of a failure than it is a success. Um, you didn't bring Sam and Hartman in to, to win nine games. Uh, you – brought him in to compete to play for the college football playoff and you weren't in the college football playoff picture as soon as October started. Uh, so that at that point it became a failure in some way. Um, I don't Okay. Think let me, let me, what you're making great point, but let me ask you this question. Who do you think's the best offensive coordinator in college football right now, or a really good offensive coordinator in college football right now? Uh, well, Lincoln Riley. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe that's cheating because he's a head coach, but yeah, somebody that's not head coach. That's a really good offensive coordinator. Who, um, I, I mean, I would have said Garrett Riley, who's not doing well at, at Clemson. Um, I, I, I don't have like, I don't have a Rolodex of offensive coordinators at the top of my, okay. Well, let's say that, you I mean, I can look them up if you want to give me a moment, but I'll, I'll give you a moment. But for example, let's, let's even say Mike Denbrock who LSU going to the Alabama game was the number one scoring offense in the country. If Mike Denbrock was the offensive coordinator instead of Jared Parker this year, what is Notre Dame's record? Okay, you were doing two things at once. I was looking up the head offensive coordinators and you were asking me a question at the same time. Uh, okay, what was the question I'll, again? I'll, I'll, I'll soft pedal it until you've looked up the offense no, and I'll ask you the question. I have, a, I have a list in front of me now, so, okay. so ask me the question again, sorry. Okay, so if whoever's on the top of your list that you just pulled up was the offensive coordinator instead of Jared Parker this year, what would Notre Dame's record be? Um... Not throwing it all on Jared Parker, just making that one change. I they think, beat Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I think Notre Dame beats Ohio. Well, I mean, yes, I do think they beat Ohio State. Um, do they yeah. beat Clemson? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think I think Notre Dame's undefeated if it has the best offensive okay. coordinator in college football. I, I, 
okay. I would probably say Ryan Grubb at Washington is probably the best offensive coordinator okay. in college football right now. Right. And I think that's a great name. And when we were kind of trying to put together names of people that might be interested and vice versa, that was a guy I remember researching and saying, wow, this guy's pretty impressive. So if he was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, so so going forward, doesn't Notre Dame's program deserve somebody like that if you can bring him in? Uh, yes, and I think it's worth mentioning the the reporting around Ryan Grubb was that he wasn't even willing to take the Alabama offensive coordinator job. Correct. So we're not we're not saying that this was the re- reality of what was going to happen this offseason. Right. It's just a. I don't know, fun hypothetical, but a hypothetical where I'm trying to make a point about. So, yeah. So how does this relate to, to be? How does this how relate does, to the Sam Hartman era being a failure or not? Do you just think because, that it was a failure before it even started? Correct. That okay. it, yeah, that it was doomed to have this ending before it started, that it could have been different. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I, I wasn't able to follow everything at the same time there. And that was a bad job by me of we'll having see, no offensive coordinators at the top of my head. That's why I have my um, <laughs> my coffee cup here because the caffeine helps me. And it's my Pete Chivarelli mug that he gave me. It's Pete Chivarelli lifting up era Parsegian. All right. Um, yeah, so I mean, getting back to Timothy's question, like I, I think it would be considered a failure because like – this is not what Sam Hartman came here to do. This is not what Notre Dame was hoping for when it brought in Sam Hartman. Um, I would I would say it's more of a failure than a success this this past season. I, I would I would take issue with comparing Sam Hartman to Drew Pine. I, I think that's uh, not necessarily accurate or true or fair. And uh, and I think saying that this year's offense has more talent than last year's offense. I don't know that that's necessarily that much true is that is it really that true like is like the, you don't have a better offensive player than michael mayer last year right and joe alt was on last year's team too so yeah. i don't know that you could make a i mean logic estimates a better version of himself than he was last year but i think logan diggs is better than any of Notre Dame's backup running backs too so all right uh end rant um bob alvey asked does marcus freeman give any reason why this team plays poorly for true road games played poorly at nc state before the rain delay played worse at duke worse at louisville and poorly at clemson it's a really good observation bob and he's been asked about that i think he was even that might have been one of the three questions he was able to be asked saturday it was a short press conference um i think that my recollection of what his responses have been to this, because I know Pete Sampson's hit this angle pretty hard in press conferences and stuff, is he kind of goes to, well, we have to figure out why. But I do think there have been different reasons. And I think, for example, the Duke game, there was a communication piece that was really missing and that's game, in that game. And I think that's another example of, institutional knowledge if you had maybe more people that have been around the program and been in those games before because again when wake forest played duke there i think there were seventeen thousand people in that stadium it's much different when there's it's the game of the year and people are screaming every second of their existence there uh but this has been a team that has been markedly worse on the road Tyler I'll let you jump in there yeah and 
in our pregame sort of discussions about the game, I was like, I have some pause that Notre Dame's offense hasn't played well on the road. Um, and more their offense than their defense. I, I mean, I think the defense didn't play great against Clemson, um, but the defense played well enough for Notre Dame to win the game. Um, and so I think I, – I don't know why that is. I I mean, I think it's generally harder to play offense on the road. I think that's not – I don't know that that's specific to Notre Dame, but uh, they have to do a better job of figuring out how to – how to combat that and uh, be on the same page offensively um, and not get shaken. It seems like, it seems like too many times the offense gets shaken up on the road where they sort of lose their confidence and haven't been able to get that back. And that was something I would, I would have not have, that might be the biggest surprise is that I would not have expected an offense led by Sam Hartman, who has so much experience to look so so unconfident, uh, so so like uncertain of what it can do in big moments um, on the road, and I feel like that's what Notre Dame's offense has been this season. All right, we got plenty more questions. I'll keep them coming, Eric. Keep them coming, and then we can get to ours in a lightning round at the end if we have time. All right. Uh, Brendan McCarthy, did you feel disturbed going huddle offense with 2.30 to go on our own 20? I was probably mad about uh, more mad about other things at that point. I think the announcers did mention it um, that there didn't seem to be enough of a sense of urgency, but you know, it didn't seem like whether they were huddling or not, but yeah, it did seem like, and and there's been times where Notre Dame's gone tempo and it seems to be a, a good thing. So yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure why there was a resistance, but I do remember the television announcers um, mentioning that, and they were befuddled by it. So you were not the only one, Brendan McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know. Maybe they were worried of sign stealing at that point. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know what the huddle up. What what would have been the reason to do that in that situation? I think there was probably plenty of time for Notre Dame to actually score, and maybe Notre Dame didn't want to score too fast. But it's hard to say that when they haven't scored all half. Like you know what I mean? I mean they scored yeah. once from the two yard line. Notre Dame's offense should not get credit for that. Um, so I, I I think that uh, you have to you have to be able to move the ball with some urgency. I I wonder if. Notre Dame's offense, because it hasn't been up-tempo, because it doesn't do some of those things that maybe Sam Hartman has done in the past, has left some of the talent and ability that Sam Hartman has sort of untapped. Because I, I, when we saw them like running two-minute drills at the beginning of the season, it's like, man, why don't they just do that a little bit more often? I mean, not like the offense was struggling at that point, but if that's so successful in those situations, why can't it be successful in other situations? And so... Um, well, and, the, and that's one thing... Brian Kelly's staff with Tommy Reese in the uh, was it Virginia Tech game? Uh, Jack Cohn kind of got benched in that game, then came back at the end, ran a two minute drill. They end up winning the game, and then during the bye week, they said, "You know what? He does a lot better in this more of a tempo situation. Why don't we incorporate more of that?" And I'm not sure that uh, Notre Dame has picked up. On that, and, and they've been asked about him. We've been we've asked in the 
um, offensive coordinator interviews on Tuesday nights. I'm usually sitting talking to Al Golden, but I read the transcripts and I know those questions have been asked. And Marcus has been asked. All right. Michael Donahue asked, it feels like Tobias Merriweather will transfer out with Braylon James not being able to get on the field. If he's on the sideline watching this and he can't get on the field, apparently, does he decide to flip as well? I don't know that either of those guys are going anywhere. I mean, Marcus, uh, Mathias, Tobias Merriweather, generally when a player transfers, it's because they can't get on the field. They haven't been given an opportunity. They feel like they weren't given a fair chance. I don't think Tobias feels like he hasn't been given a fair chance. I think Tobias is trying to work his way through kind of the evolution of feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I think once he gets past that, he's going to be fine. Now that could be here somewhere else. And again, I think Braylon James knew that he was more raw than the other wide receivers. I don't know that Braylon James, you know, being inexperienced is really going to help Notre Dame out of this better than the other options that they have. I think, you know, I would take a healthy Jaden Thomas over a Braylon James with a lot of reps any day. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and you can't worry about, it, especially in this, you're trying to get your offense better. You can't worry about Braylon James transferring. If he does, then you move on with the three freshmen that are coming in and you go to the portal. I mean, you can't just play somebody because they were highly rated and and yet not ready to play. Yeah, I, I think – I mean, I'm never surprised by transfers in the portal era, so I can't say I would be surprised by either of them deciding to leave. Um, I think Braylon James came to Notre Dame with a big influence uh, of Chancey Stuckey, so if Chancey Stuckey weren't at Notre Dame, maybe that would change. Um, But I think think Braylon James understands the vision there um, and the plan for him. Um, And he's got good raw talent. Right. He, He... there's potential there for down the road. Yeah. As for Tobias, like, I, I, I mean, if he wants to transfer, that's his decision. I, I, I think there needs to be some inward reflection with Tobias Merriweather and, and what he needs to do to get better um, because he's been given a lot of opportunities on the playing field this season and it hasn't come through with production. And so um, I, I can understand being dissatisfied with the outcome this year, but um, I think you have to make a hard decision on whether or not what and how much ownership you, you take in, in it uh, playing out the way it did. Uh, Ron Robert asked, do you think a one-year portal quarterback is worth the possible loss of existing quarterbacks and CJ Carr with this offensive coordinator? I don't think you would lose CJ Carr. I think you would, re- the risk is with Angeli or Minchie or both of them. And it depends which portal quarterback it is. If your aim as a program is to make 2024 a transition year to build toward 2025, then I think all options are on the table. But in the first year of the 12 team playoff, if your aim is to be a team that's in that, given the fact you open at Texas A&M, then you have a lot of softness and then you have a pretty difficult November schedule on paper. I think you 
go after the best portal quarterback you can. And if you can get somebody like a Michael Pratt, then that's the direction you go. And then you build toward then being a developing program of quarterbacks in 2025 and beyond. Yeah, I think you have to go for the portal because I would look at like Ohio State as an example. I think some people might think Kyle McCord is holding Ohio State back. Like Ohio State isn't necessarily reaching its potential because of him. And they they opted to go with the quarterback within their system rather than bring a quarter, portal quarterback in. But Ohio State's still in the in the thick of it now, and it can still get to where it wants to go if he continues to develop and plays to that level. But what Kyle McCord has at Ohio State are extremely dynamic receivers, and Notre the best Dame best receivers, the best receivers. Notre Dame doesn't have that. So like, and I don't, and I, I even like comparing Steve Angeli to Kyle McCord would be incredibly generous to Steve Angeli, in my opinion. Um, so that's why, like, I, I don't think you can rely on Steve Angeli or, or CJ Carr next season or Kenny Minchie next season. I don't know that you can go into next season relying on that, um, because Notre Dame doesn't have the pieces around that, that quarterback that can get you to where you want to go. I don't think it, I think if Notre Dame brings a portal quarterback in the worst case scenario is Steve Angeli leaves. I would be surprised if Kenny Minchie left or CJ Carr changed his mind. Uh, like CJ Carr has already been through two offensive coordinators in the time he's been committed to Notre Dame. He's not committed to, Jer- he's not coming to Notre Dame because of Jared Parker. So like Ron Robert threw the offensive coordinator and at the, at the end, I don't, I don't know that there's any correlation between those two. Like I think those are separate things that we're talking about here, but I don't know that that will influence um, any, any changes uh, uh, at the quarterback position either. All right. Uh, Michael McFadden says Marcus Freeman blames turnovers. No first in the pat in the last six possessions, six times seven equals 42 potential points was the issue. Marcus Freeman has lost the team knowingly playing 10 and now cannot motivate them to play hard for him. Serious observation here. I'm not sure that I can decode that, so I'm going to let you take that, Tyler. Yeah, I don't know that I probably. This is probably one that I needed to read closer before. Michael, we were very comes. generous with letting you drink and have bare feet tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the turnovers don't help. I, I think that sort of speak to me. That speaks to the lack of confidence that Marcus Freeman has in the offense to go out and score. Like if he's like, well. You don't want to blame it on two things, but the muff punt and the pick six really hurts us. But it's like, well, yeah, but your defense basically gave you a pick six back with Xavier Watts returning it to the two-yard line. So that sort of evens out. The muff punt cost you three points. So, like, I, I don't know that that Notre Dame lost the game solely because that Notre Dame could have won this game with its poor offensive performance if those things didn't happen. But that shouldn't be what you're you're aiming for. Like, you should be aiming for better offense. Um, and maybe Marcus Freeman doesn't believe that this offense can be much better than it is. I, I don't, I think it maybe, maybe he's just leaning on coaching cliches and obviously you don't want team, your team to turn the ball over and you need to focus on those problems. But I, the, I think it's certainly an oversimplification of the issues for Notre Dame on Saturday to blame it on just those, those two instances. Mike, I, Michael, I will give you props here about the last six possessions because it netted 60 total yards. It ended punt, 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 interception, turnover on downs. So, yes, there were problems in the last six possessions. There were opportunities to overcome the turnovers, but 
turnover margin is a huge factor in games. You lose the turnover margin and it's difficult to win games against an equally matched opponent when you have, especially when you have little margin for error. All right, Ryan says, just logged on, so apologize if I've already asked. Notre Dame has three coaches with offensive coordinator experience. Any idea why they still can't cobble together a decent game plan? Should they be like George Constanza, Constanza, sorry, Costanza and do the opposite? <laughs> exactly. You've stumbled upon something there. Oh, my gosh. And have a calzone. Um, so I think it's not as much coming – putting together a really good game plan or a, an acceptable game plan as it is counter punching within a game, which Jared Parker seemed to do early against the bad defenses and against North Carolina's defense, which wasn't bad. North Carolina's defense is actually pretty good. Um, but there doesn't seem to be that ability for the in-game adjustments and he just kind of gets stuck in the one gear and then can't get out of that can't get out of that hole and and these decisions in game are made split second you're sitting around a meeting room you can toss around some pretty good ideas during the week but on game day it's difficult for somebody to be able to you know do the uh Cyrano de Bergerac thing and whisper in his ear and tell him what the magic words are to say into the uh into the headset yeah I I, I don't know like Notre Dame speaks both Marcus Freeman, Jared Parker, and I think Al Golden does the same when you talk about ask about defensive stuff. Like they talk about being so collaborative as a coaching staff. So as much as we want to criticize Jared Parker for the game plan, I think there's a lot of voices that are going into it. And I don't maybe maybe that's not working. Maybe something about that collaboration is is making things less cohesive than they should be. I, I don't I don't really know how to pinpoint where the problems are arriving and why that, why there isn't a better plan of attack. Um, like I could not tell you what Notre Dame's passing game plan of attack against Clemson was like, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know what they were trying to do. There was no clear and cohesive plan of what they wanted to do with any sort of consistency there. And I like, you have to have a better plan against Clemson, especially against uh, for the past. Cause you expect they're going to try to stop the run, even though you had success running the ball early like you knew that that wasn't going to be able to last the whole game. So um, it's just a bizarre, bizarre outcome um, for Notre Dame. I think that's probably going to be it for the questions. Uh, there's more that we could go through, but is there some things on our uh, outline that we want to hit before we go, Eric? Okay. Let me look here. Okay. Let's do these kind of rapid fire. And then if we have time, we can go back to the question queue. Would a bowl game against a Brian Kelly LSU Tiger team present some measure of redemption if it were to happen and the Irish were to win? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just look at how much folks love beating Caleb Williams after last year. Like, I, like Brian, beating Brian Kelly in a bowl game would be absolute uh, euphoria for some Notre Dame fans, even after what this season has been. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, – I think there would be some redemption there. <laughs> on the flip side, if their name lost, I, I don't, don't know that I would want to spend much time on our message board that day if that's the case. Okay. Um, 
there are several players on the brink of burning a potential redshirt year. If you're Marcus Freeman, do you play Dion Colsey if he's healthy or somebody like Bubakar Traore, an up-and-coming player who's played in four games? Um, if those players are willing to, I say yes. I, I, I don't think those guys are the difference in winning your next two games, but it would be nice to see what they have for next season. Um, so I think I think there needs to be some conversations had here and the bye week's a good time to do that. Um, and so I, I, I would certainly entertain doing that. I, the Viper position has probably been the most disappointing position on the defense for me. I think um, it's just been a, a nothing burger. I feel like for the most part, I, I don't, I don't know that Notre Dame's getting enough out of that position. Um, and maybe Bubakar Traore can, can help you there. What do you think? I think, Anything that can help you win games if they are up for it. If Deion Colsey said, you know what, I'm, I've got one more year, my senior year, and uh, I'm willing to burn my junior year against Wake Forest and Stanford if it helps the team. He's the guy that could help. And you're right, Bubakar Traore, as a pass rusher, could help the Viper position. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Jordan Botello after this year, but you look at Josh Burnham and Bubakar Traore, and I think that's kind of the future of the position. Okay, how much should playing backups, Steve Angeli and Kenny Menchie at quarterback, be a priority and in what situations? Uh, very little and in blowouts. Do you okay. disagree? I don't disagree. I think Notre Dame knows what it has in Steve Angeli and Kenny Menchie, and if you are committed to a portal quarterback, why would you, especially Sam Hartman playing against Wake Forest on senior day, why would you prioritize those guys? I'm I'm not for that. I think that's a knee-jerk reaction. I understand why people think that way, mm -hmm. but unless you're you absolutely think Steve Angeli's the quarterback, uh, then I wouldn't even then I wouldn't do it because I think you'd lose your team. Yeah, I I, let, I mean, let them run the offense when they're in. But Yeah, like, absolutely, but no. which is what they did against Pittsburgh. I mean, right. not with Minchie, but with Angeli. Right. Whoever the offensive coordinator is, does Notre Dame need a veteran analyst as a backstop of sorts? We discussed this a little bit earlier, but let me. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, the more people with experience, I, I, I don't know how that would hurt. So, yeah, I would. I think I think Notre Dame could use that. Amen from me. If Al Golden leaves, does Jared Parker struggle as an offensive coordinator, discourage the promotion of Mike Mickens, or would the Clark Lee example and continuity in scheme outweigh that? Um, I think the thing that makes it more appealing and viable is that Marcus Freeman's a defensive coordinator. Like he he can right. help Mike Mickens with that, um, and he can't do that on the offense. So that's why it was a bit of a red flag with Jared Parker's inexperience. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with that. That would, it, there, there is some concern that he doesn't have the defensive coordinator experience, but I think that Marcus Freeman as, as his head coach would, would allow him to still have success in that. Last one in the lightning round is Sam Hartman getting too much blame for the downturn in the offense. Uh, not from Saturday's game. I, I don't think so. Like, I think as a whole, like I don't think this is Sam Hartman's fault, but I don't think he played very well against Clemson. He he wants the blame. He, he made a statement uh, after the game to indicate as much, um, and he uh, he feels that way. So I think uh, that that's totally fine. I should keep 
from looking over at the questions and the comments, I saw somebody that has would like Muffet McGraw to run the team, and I'm sure that she could probably do a pretty good job, but it did make me giggle. Um, do we want to take any more questions, or do we want to take a final? Um, I don't think there's anything else that necessarily we need to circle back to. I think I've tried to get to all the ones that made sense. There was a lot of rapid fire there in, in the uh, in the game. Eric's, uh, we can get this one. Eric Swope just threw in, wonder if Hartman steps away after Wake Forest. I don't think so, especially after the way he um, got up after the um, Notre Dame-Clemson game and said, put the blame on me, don't blame the offensive coordinator and stuff. I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to bail on his teammates. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen a hint of that from him. Yeah, I, I, are we – I want to make sure I understand Eric. Is he suggesting that he wouldn't play in the Stanford game, or is he think is Eric, is Eric confusing thinking the Wake Forest game is the last game and not play in the bowl game? I want to make sure that we have that right because I, I I don't understand why he would play against Wake Forest just because it's his former team and not play in the final regular season game. I can see him sitting out the bowl game, but I can't see him sitting out the the last regular season game at Stanford. I, I in either case, I think Sam Hartman would play. Uh, I think if we got down to the, you know, Tony the Tiger Bowl or whatever it is, then maybe none of them show up for that. But uh, <laughs> but I think Hartman stays with this team to the end. All right. All right. Well, we hope you consider taking advantage of our 30-day free trial of InsideNDSports.com that is available to our YouTube audience. Use the promo code NDYT, um, and you can sign up to get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us over on the Insider Lounge. There's a link below to sign up in the video description. And, uh, Eric, is there anything else you'd like to add before we get out of here? Uh, ring the bell, subscribe. Thank you to Legacy Heating and Air for warming my house, cooling my house, whatever it was doing today on this unseasonably warm day. And thank you for sponsoring our show. And thanks for all you guys for being on your best behavior with the no drinking rule and the no bare feet rule rescinded. <laughs> All right. We're planning to record our inside any sports podcast later in the week than usual. Um, we'll probably do that on Thursday. Um, so look for that later in the week. Uh, we'll have no more YouTube content until we're back here Monday for another football that never sleeps. And we hope everyone enjoys the bye week <laughs>